Scripture, and I'll try to give you my thought this morning, and we'll get out of the way. Man, Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 18. The Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected him the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is, in, what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we then say unto these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book this morning. Thank you for this precious word of God that you have inspired and preserved to this generation. Lord, I pray for the next few moments, God, that you would touch us in this text. Lord, you would call to our mind, Lord, the things we have tried to prepare this week to be an encouragement and a help and to give some instruction and exhortation to this congregation. And what you do, we'll thank you and we'll give you glory for it. Speak to our hearts today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
We would all agree that we are living in a day and age where the people of God, or most people of God rather, are living in discouragement and defeat. It seems like you go to a lot of meetings or a lot of church services and it seems like nobody has any joy, nobody has any excitement. Seems like they feel like they, they look like they want to quit. They don't even believe half. And you know, by the way, it is just as wrong to sing a lie as it is to tell a lie. Amen. I mean, we'll get up and sing, I'm on the winning side and we'll fake it. Uh, but we, uh, deep down in our heart, we're living in defeat and we're living in discouragement. And I believe that's the will of God. I understand that man is born of woman. He's a few days and full of trouble. But I believe we can have victory, man. I believe we can have joy, man. I believe that we can have uh, 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 an end anticipation in living for the Lord. But I remind you, this is the best life. Amen. This just ain't a good life, but this is the greatest life you can live. Is a life where you're saved by the grace of God, where you're walking in the Spirit, where you're reading the Word of God, and you have communion and fellowship with the Lord in prayer. One man said, even if there was no heaven, at the end of the road, living for the Lord is still the best life that you can live. And I have to say, amen. I agree with that. But why why are so many people quitting? Why are so many people throwing in the towel? I think it's brought on by the depravity of sinners. I think when people look around them and they see the wickedness of sin and sinners all around them, it says, what is the use? Why should we even try to live for God? We're not making a difference. We're not making a change. We're not making an impact in our community. And they look at the depravity of sinners all around them and say, why should I pray for them? It seems like the more I pray for them, the further they go. It seems like the more I witness to them, the worse they get. Why should we do that when people consider the depths of sin? When they see how far down sin can take a life and I can destroy a life, it might cause us to be discouraged or be defeated. How about this? What about the display of our society? I tell you, this world has gone crazy and sin and wickedness is reigning on every hand in our society. And I don't want to take 30 minutes to explain to you what you already know, but we're living in in a wicked day where moms and dads are not being what they need to be in the home and they're not leading their family and sadly now preachers and pastors are not being what they need to be to lead their churches in the right way and you know what that leads to? It leads to the departure of saints. People are quitting on God. They're getting out of church. They're leaving. They're, they're saying What's the, I'm not talking about people that come down and repeated a prayer and never saw them again. I'm talking about people that's been in church for years. They've been faithful in the house of God. They've tried to serve the Lord and just after a little while they finally just give in and they quit and they throw in the towel if you would and they kick out of the traces and they quit on God I don't know about you but that bothers me if you've ever experienced if anybody would have experienced these things that I mentioned it would be the Apostle Paul Paul knew what it was like to see the depths of sin, the depravity of sinners, the display of society. And truly, he watched the saints depart and Demas and, and, and Alexander the coppersmith and others we can mention. But as I begin to read these verses this week, Paul writing here, I do not see a defeated Christian writing in this text. I do not see someone who is getting ready to quit writing in these verses. But I see Paul's got a little extra passion in his soul. I see Paul's got some extra excitement in his spirit as he begins to write this wonderful chapter here in Romans. And I want to preach on this thought this morning, uh, simply two words. When I say two words, I'm not saying like Joe Biden made in America, man. I really got two words I want to preach on and encourage you. I want to preach on press on. 
press on. Amen. This is not time to quit. This is not time to get out of church. This is not time to throw in the towel. But I tell you, I like that song we sing 374 in the Red Book. There's glory in my soul. Since Jesus took control, He placed within my heart a happy song. The joy bells sweetly ring while of His love I sing. So press on. It won't be very long. I want to admonish you this morning. Don't quit. Don't, don't throw in the towel. Don't kick out of the traces. But press on. Press on. As I read these verses, there are three things, and I'm going to try to get through all three of them this morning. If not, I'll either come back tonight or next Sunday and give them to you. But there are three things here in Romans 8 that I want to emphasize that I believe will keep us going in these last days. First of all, I want us to see the reckoning considered. Look at verse number 18, please, in your Bible. For I reckon, now that tells me that Paul was from the south. You can smile there, amen. He said, for I reckon, that is an accounting word. That is a calculating word. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There are three little thoughts I want you to see in verse number 18. First of all, I see there is a reality that we must, we must embrace. Watch what he says. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. I'm going to tell you a reality that a lot of people don't want to admit. There's going to be suffering in this life. A lot of people think because they got saved that they get a, they get, because they're good to go to heaven when they die, that everything's just going to be perfect and they're never going to have any problems. But I'm telling you, I quoted a moment ago, man, that is born of a woman. He is a few days and full of trouble. Paul knew something about suffering. Paul knew something about trials. In fact, it was Paul's prayer to know the Lord in the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 3.10. Paul will list out some of those sufferings that he endured. He is writing there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says in verse 23, he said, he said, uh, are they ministers of Christ? Uh, he's talking about, in the context, talking about false ministers. He said, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off of the Jews five times. I received 40 stripes, saved one. Uh, you think of, did you get the whole that five different times Paul was subject to being scourged and that scourging was 39 lashes five different times thrice was I beaten with rods once was a stone thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day have I been in the deep in journeys that means he was shipwrecked out in the ocean verse 26 in journeys often in perils of water in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen he said I've even had people that were my friends turn on me in perils by the heathen in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He said, everywhere I look, I didn't care if I was in the city, or I was in the wilderness, or I was in the sea, I had problems in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hungering and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness. And beside all those things that, were that, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I'd say Paul knew something about suffering. Now may I remind you this morning, I'm not being rude, we don't know much about suffering in 2022. In fact, the church don't know much about suffering. 
We got a little bitty, 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 little bitty taste of suffering or persecution, if you would, uh, during the COVID year when they tried to shut down the churches. But even in our state, our governor was goofy, but he didn't have policemen breaking up our services uh, like it was in some other liberal states like Michigan and Maryland and other places like that. But what I'm saying uh, this morning is we don't know much about suffering, but I believe we are going to know more as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. There's a reality. There's going to be personal suffering. You're going to suffer things in life. Some people's suffering are greater than others. Some people's suffering and some people's problems are greater than others. But I say this, when it's your suffering, when it's your problem, it's the biggest thing in the world to you. Amen. It don't matter if it's major surgery. So I say, what's the difference between major surgery and minor surgery? Minor surgery is when they're cutting on you. Major surgery is when they come after me with that knife. Amen. And so there's reality of suffering. But then notice the recognition. Watch what he said. The sufferings of this present time. Now you start to study out that word present time. It means, it comes from a Greek word that means season. You know what I like about that word season? Seasons don't last forever. We are leaving, we have just left the summer season. And we have entered into the fall season. But it won't be long and the winter season will be here. Why? Seasons change. And so the sufferings of this present time, this present season. Yes, there might be suffering now, but thank God it won't last forever. Amen. There's a recognition. He said, he said they're not worthy to be compared with the glory. This word reckon is a wonderful Bible word, and it means to count or to calculate. In other words, Paul sat down and he began to count up all of his troubles and all of his sufferings that he listed out in 2 Corinthians 11. He looked at all those times he had been beaten. He looked at all those times he had been forsaken. And, and was hungry and shipwrecked and alone and abandoned. He looked at all of that and he began to compare it with the glory of over yonder. Hey, you know what he said? It's not even worthy to be on the same scale. He said, I tell you, I'm suffering here for a present time, but I'm telling you, on the scales of eternity, he'll say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is a light affliction which is but for a moment and it worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory yes. that's an interesting verse what does Paul mean by that how is that affliction light well it's light because Paul said that affliction worketh for us yes. now if something is working for you that means it's your employee and the reason you have employees in a business is so they can benefit you so your afflictions are working for you to benefit you. How is that, preacher? Well, watch what he says. They work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's what I believe Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is an eternal scale. And on one of the, balance, and one of the balances is on, is on earth and the other one's in eternity. And Paul said that our light affliction worked for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. In the old days when people would go to the store to purchase food and supplies, instead of having prices, everything was priced by weight. And so what they would do, they would put those items on the scale. And then you would place your money, the gold, the silver, whatever you had, you'd place it on the scale. And when it evened out, that's what you paid for the supplies. But Paul did not say that our... Y'all still with me now? Wake up. Paul did not say that our sufferings and the glory in heaven would be even. Did you get a hold of that? He didn't say it was going to be even. He said, but the glory would far exceed 
the suffering. In other words, God's not going to let you just break even when you get there. But that suffering you've had down here, the trials you've had down here, you know what it's doing? It might be piling on down here. And it looks like you're low. But over there, God is pouring more glory. And what? And here's what Paul said. It will be worth it all when we get to the other side. He said, you know what? These sufferings, these trials, these burdens I'm bearing, he said, they are just light. They're not even worth Worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There is the reality. There is the recognition. But then notice the revelation. Which shall be revealed in us. Now, don't miss this great truth. That little phrase, revealed in us. Now, as far as I can tell in this phrase, in us is a present tense. Meaning that the glory is already there. The word revealed means an uncovering of something. I'll I'll give you an example. There are my glasses, but I have them covered with that handkerchief. But if I was to reveal, those glasses are there. But when I picked that up, I did not make those glasses appear. They They were already there. The covering was just lifted. And I'm telling you, somebody said, well, I'm going to let the glory roll when the roll is called in glory. Honey, let it roll now because it's already in you. And the sufferings of this life, they're not, they can't even, Paul said, they're not even worthy to be on the same scale of that eternal weight of glory. Thank God it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Every trial, every burden, every sorrow, every storm, every funeral home, every hospital, every prodigal, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I tell you, we get so focused on the things of this world and we get so focused on the trials and we'll say nobody's had it as bad as I've had it. I'm telling you, there's people that's had it bad, as bad and worse than you've had it. But I'm telling you, if you're saved by the grace of God, if you know that heaven's your home, God is your Father, Jesus is your brother, the Spirit is your guide, the Word is your counsel, and the church is your home on the way home, home away from home on the way home. If you know all of that, I tell you, it will be worth it all. God's not just going to let you break even. But it will be better on the other side. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more separation. No more sickness. No more death. No more problems. No more prodigals. No more pain. Thank God it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Paul said it's not even worthy to be compared. How about you? I hope you press on. That'll help you press on on a rainy day, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll allow the discouragement and the doubts and the fears and the depression and the sorrow to make you think you're the only one going through this. Nobody else cares, but I'm glad Jesus cares this morning. He cares, and He can help you, and He can meet your need. You know what God He's let us do? Oh, if God would just remove the scales from our eyes and let us see that eternal, amen, not that temporal, but that eternal weight of glory that is being weighed out in eternity. Amen. Can you imagine Paul's eternal weight of glory? All he went through, all the suffering, all the pain, all the beating, all the torment, everything. Can you imagine Paul's? I tell you, you're talking about somebody having a good time in heaven. That eternal weight of glory. Press on, child of God. Going through suffering. Some of you are going through things this morning that nobody else knows about. And quite frankly, not to be rude, nobody else cares about. 
You know, if we're not careful, we get selfish. And we'll say we care about something. We're praying for it, but how often do we pray for them? How often do we actually call their names out? I'm talking about we, all of us. How often do we actually carry that burden before the throne? But aren't you glad that it will be worth it all? There's a reckoning considered. Let's move on. I, I, let's move on. Let me, give you, let me give you one. I ain't going to get it all this, this morning. Let me give you this. In, this. in this revelation, it was already... Somebody said, Preacher, what is, what is that revelation? What is already there? He's put that earnest of the Spirit already in us. In the purse of the Holy Spirit of God. It's already there. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this morning, you know, there's a lot of people go around and say that God, God did not make you into something. He simply revealed what was already in you and salvation. No, 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 no. You had to get born again. But I'm talking about after you're saved, he put the Holy Spirit of God in you and he's going to reveal, he's going to reveal throughout all eternity all the things he's done for you. I mean, the times you wasn't paying attention and God took care of you and God met that need and God blessed that burden. I'll tell you, all the trials and all the problems, they'll seem as nothing. They'll seem as nothing anymore, amen. The Bible said in Revelation 21 that he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes and the former things shall be passed away, amen. Man, thank God for that reality that we have. It's a reckoning considered. But then there's the rapture of the church. Look at chapter, look at chapter 8, verse number 19 through 25. I'll read the verses as I go. There's a deep desire in this chapter. Look at verse 19. In, in light of that revealed glory in verse 18. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth. For the manifestation of the sons of God. You know, preacher, what's this talking about? He's talking about the rapture. It is that earnest, that deep desire, that earnest expectation. Oh, that, that, that little phrase, earnest expectation, it means an anxious, persistent expectation. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. I can't wait. I can't wait. Just like all these kids around this time of year, can't wait for Christmas. Can't wait. Why? They are looking forward to that day. When they get to open up, hey amen, when they get to go under that tree, and, 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 and by the way, I'm 31 years old. I'm still looking forward to that day, amen. But they're looking forward to that day when they get to open up those things and, and oh, enjoy those presents and those gifts. They have a day in mind. Well, Paul said, honey, I've got a day in mind too. For the Lord himself shall to Send from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's Paul's earnest expectation. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Paul said, I can't wait. I can't wait. There's an earnest expectation in my soul that this could be the day, this could be the moment, this could be the hour when Jesus comes. Why should we, why, sh I ain't going to get through it all this morning. Why should we have a deep desire for the rapture? I don't know about you, but being removed from sin. I mean, can you think about the fact that one day you'll commit your last sin. You'll commit your last transgression. Iniquity will no longer live in your soul. There won't, be, there won't never be another bad thought cross your mind or a bad word cross your tongue. It'll all be gone. Those, hey man, those memories of the past, of times when you were wicked and lost without God. And even after you've been saved, things you've done that you're ashamed of, they've been washed away in the blood, thank God. But your memory's still 
still there. And the pain and the sorrow is still there. Oh, but there is a coming a day when all that's going to be gone. You won't remember that life anymore. You won't have the capability to do that anymore. John said when I see him, he said, I, we don't not yet appear what we shall be. But we do know we, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Thank God we'll be removed from sin. We'll be reunited with the saints. All those who've gone on, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Now, I used to think that that meant they was going to get to heaven first in the sky, and then we'd catch up behind them. That's not what that means. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to rise out of that grave. And when they rise up out of that grave, and they get on even ground, we all going up together. Amen. We're all going up together. Amen. Amen. That's right. We'll get up on resurrection morning. I'm glad a grave. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 23, Sarah dies. And Abraham goes to the sons of Heth and he purchases the cave of Machpelah. Why did he purchase that cave? He said, so he may bury his dead out of his sight. But if you look up that word Machpelah, it means. Two openings is the general gist. Meaning that cave had an entrance on this side and it had an exit on this side. You know what? When, when Abraham put Sarah in that tomb, there was an entrance, but there was going to be an exit. <laughs> And I'm telling you this morning, when we planted our loved ones in the graveyard, we put them in a hope chest. We didn't put them in a casket. Some of you don't know what a hope chest is. My generation don't know what it is, but I'm an old soul. Some of you, uh, some of you ladies remember a hope chest. They would, they would, them, them girls would buy them hope chests and they'd put in there them towels and, and dishes and stuff you'd sell at yard sales uh, later on in your life. They'd put all that stuff in that box before they got married. And what that was doing, that was in preparation for when they got married to to start to start their home. It was that was a hope chest because one day there's going to be a wedding. And you're going to pull all those items out of that hope chest. What well, I'm telling you, when we planted our loved ones in the graveyard, we didn't, hey, we didn't bury it, we planted them. You plant something in hope of a resurrection because life's going to come up, amen. And I'll tell you, there is a coming a day when those we planted down at the cemetery, they're going to come out of them hope chests when the, when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. We're going to rise up together, thank God. The removal from sin, the, resur- the reuniting with the saints, relief from suffering. No more problems, no more pain, no more sorrow. And I'll tell you what will we'll really be heaven, we'll be at rest with the Savior. No wonder Paul had a deep desire for the rapture. Not only the, not, this, this, deep, this deep desire, not only the, the deep desire, but then notice the dominance of death. Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same hope. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, that word vanity means frailty. He said, he said our human bodies are made in vanity. Meaning, because of sin, we're all going to die if the Lord don't come. And even, if the Lord, even when the Lord does come, if we're living, this body is not going to heaven. It's going to be changed in the moment. Ever since the Garden of Eden, death has reigned. 
but not only notice the dominance of death, but look at verse 21 and 22. There's a delighted deliverance because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So as a preacher, what is Paul saying here? He's saying when you got saved, God put something on the inside of you that is longing for that day. It is a longing in your soul. It, I'll tell you what it's like. If I had, if I had a, 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 a magnet up here and I had, I had a bunch of toothpicks and then I had, I had some, uh, some metal objects and I had all that mixed in and I'd take, take that magnet and I'd run it over that pile. You know what everything would do? Everything that had that metal in it, it would be attracted to that magnet and be lifted up. One toothpick wouldn't move. Somebody said, why? Because there's something in that iron that is connected to what's in that magnet. And when that, ma amen, when that magnet hovers over it, there's an automatic pull. There's an automatic draw up to that magnet. Hey, I'm telling you, when God saved me, He put the earnest of the Spirit on the inside of me. He put something on the inside of me. And honey, when the rapture takes place, when He comes again, there's something inside of me that's going to be pulled up to heaven. If you're lost and you ain't got nothing on the inside of you, you'll just lay there. There's the notice. No wonder John said in Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. I think John had that deep desire too. There's the definite difference. Look at verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What is Paul talking about here? On resurrection morning, on rapture morning, our bodies will be immediately changed in the moment, not in the blinking, friend, but in the twinkling of an eye. That's one one-hundredth of a second. You'll kick the wheelchair chair goodbye. Say goodbye to medicine, glasses, chains. Amen. Walkers, all that'll be gone because you'll be changed and you'll have a perfect body just like the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a definite difference. Amen. Well, preacher, we're going to know one another in heaven. You better believe it. Amen. We'll recognize one another in our glorified body. Amen. We won't need the things of this life to help us anymore. There'll be a definite difference. But until then, verse 24 and 25 teaches there, there is a daily dependence. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it. If you're like me, when I read that, I said, huh? <laughs> Let's be honest. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, up until that day, we live by hope. Here's a word you might know. We live by faith. We're looking for that blessed hope. But you can't see the hope. But you know it's there. Somebody said, well, I ain't going to believe anything I can't see. Well, quit breathing, Bubba. Of course, if you listen to the liberals, you, they say you can see what you're breathing, but you really can't see what you're breathing, Amen. Let you go to some churches I preach that. You can really see what you're breathing. Amen. Walked in on the front porch. <laughs> Good to be here. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> You'll get that after a while. <laughs> Here's, that's right. Amen. Just up out, out there sending up burnt offerings. Amen. <laughs> but what I'm saying is up until that day, we, we have to do, we have to live by faith. Does the devil ever attack your mind? This ain't real. 
all this stuff, all this, all this Bible, all this church, all this religion. It's all a fallacy. It's all fake. It ain't real. Am I the only one? Don't look at me like you're so spiritual. You laughing at that like I was earlier. <laughs> Amen. Looks like everybody is okay. Amen. Here's what I'm saying. The devil getting your mind. Is that Bible really true? Is church really right? I mean, really, really know if there's life after death. Job said, if a man dies, shall he live again? Job had no thoughts. But Job got him settled because later he said, for I know my Redeemer liveth. And he shall stand the latter day. And, and he said, in my flesh, though these skin worms uh, eat my body, he said, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job got it settled. We have doubts and stuff. You know what we have to do? We have to live by faith. There's a daily dependence. I don't know about you. That helps me press on. Knowing there's coming a day when I'm getting out of here. They can have it. They can do what they want to do with it. They can, amen, the sin and the wickedness of this world and the ideology and the direction they want to take our families and our children. Hey, they can have it. I'm getting out of here. Amen. Uh, Though, you know, the JWs will come around and say they want to inherit the earth. They can have it. (laughs) I'm looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Amen. It's 11.51. Give me nine minutes. Can I finish up? Let me finish this outline. I don't want to have to finish up tonight. There is the reckoning considered. There's the rapture of the church. I'm talking about what helps us press on. There's the, the reckoning of considered and the rapture of the church. But then there's reassurance to the Christian. Let me run through these real quick, all right? Give me nine minutes. If you'll say amen and smile at me and nod your head, I'll be done by 12 o'clock. There's the Spirit's intercession. Look at verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we all. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How am I going to press on? you got a prayer partner. That little phrase, that little word, helpeth, it means to take hold with another. In other words, this thing's real heavy, and I can't bear this on my own. But if I got somebody on the other side to help me, they are bearing, and you know who that is? The Spirit of God. He helpeth. That infirmities means want of strength to understand the thing, to do great and glorious, to restrain corrupt desires. What is that groaning? I've heard people say all the time, that that groaning, us groan, that, that groaning to the Spirit is when we go, oh, God. That ain't what that is talking about. He said the Spirit's groaning. We groan, as he mentioned, that groan is a sign, anticipation, desire. But why is the Spirit groaning? He's groaning because he's touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus wept. And the Bible said he groaned in his spirit. Why? Because he was touched with their sorrow. He knew their pain, but he was also, he was so much man that he cried, but he was so much God that when he cried out, Lazarus coming forth, here come Lazarus, a bound hand and foot, he was resurrected and alive. Aren't you glad you're not in this thing alone? There's a Spirit's intercession. There's the Sovereign's involvement. All people love this verse, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. This verse is a great verse. But it's often misused. There is a prerequisite on this verse. All things don't work together for good for everybody. 
Bible said all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, Jacob in Genesis 42, when they had to go back and get one of his sons, Benjamin, you know what Jacob said? I got six minutes, don't make me teach Sunday school. Joseph's in Egypt. And he said, if they don't know it's Joseph, and he said, if you want corn, corn, go get your brother, go get your younger brother. And J- Jacob don't want to, don't want to send Benjamin. You know what Jacob says? All these things are against me, but they wasn't. All these things were working for him, because those things he didn't like, he thought was against him, was the very thing that was going to get him reunited with Joseph. And those things you don't like, God is working them together to get you closer to Jesus. Do you know that sodium and chlorine are both harmful for human consumption? And even, and even to come in contact with is harmful for you? But when they are compounded and they work together, it sure does make mashed potatoes taste good. It tastes good. It's called salt. If you split those two ingredients by themselves, they'll kill you. Oh, but they work together. And it makes things taste better. And I tell you, there are things in life that this had leave a bad taste in your mouth. But you let God work those things together. You let God do His sovereign and divine work. And God will make it work out good. I'm a hurrying. There's the spiritual inner working. Look at verse 29 and 30. I got four minutes. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now the Calvinists want to take this verse and say, See, God picks and chooses who's going to be saved. I can't help they don't have the sense that God gave a billy goat. If you were to look at these words, the word, pre, the word foreknow is, means to have knowledge beforehand. He just knows about it. That don't mean he doesn't anything about it. Predestinate means to decide beforehand. Somebody said, well, preacher, see? No, no, watch your Bible. Watch what Paul says. Paul is not writing in chronological order. He is, he's writing to save folks. Watch what he said. Moreover, verse 29, Who he did it also predestinate. What did he predestinate them? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's been talking about in the other verses about our bodies being, being uh, the adoption of the body. That is our bodies being changed to a glorified body. That's what he's talking about. And moreover, whom he, those he predestinated to be conformed, he called. That's conviction. And those that he called, he also justified. That's salvation. He ain't right in chronological order. And then he also glorified. Glorifies when our bodies change and we're in heaven. That's not chronological order. He's saying if you've been called, that's conviction. You answer the call, you got justified. And now God is conforming you to the image of his son. And one day you're going to be just like Jesus in that glorified body. And y'all know there's six weeks of preaching I could do there. And I ain't going to take time to do it all. But there is, there is this soldier's inspiration. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul's feeling plum, plum spiritual in that verse. He said, I tell you right now, I've got a lot of things going against me. What shall I say to all these things? If God be for us. He's going to mention some things in the latter part of this chapter. Things we're all scared of. But he said, um, what am I going to say to him? If God be for us. 
their salvation's imputation. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also freely give us all things? Paul said he's done giving his son. If he gave his son at Calvary, there ain't nothing he's going to hold back that I need. Hey, man, he's, I'm trying to hush, but if he's, he's already given the best he had. There is the saint's innocence. Look at verse 33 and 34. So who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. When I say innocence, I don't mean that we're innocent and free from, free from guilt. We still sin, but positional truth in the eyes of God. There is a part of me that's never sinned, and it's that spiritual man. It's that new man that he put in me. We have an accuser of the brethren, but the Bible said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Here's the last thing, and i got 30 seconds. There's a stated impossibility. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm facing a lot of things. A lot of suffering, a lot of problems, a lot of pain. But it ain't worthy to be compared to what he's got over there. So you know what Paul said, I'm going to do? I'm going to press on. Come on, Brother Matthew, I'm, it's 12 o'clock. I, told, I kept my word. I'm going to tell you this morning, you can press on. It's hard to press on when we're looking this way. <laughs> 